0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin our look at the Word of God today. Please pray with me. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the worship that we have been able to engage in. Your Word says that you inhabit the praises of your people, and we thank you that you are here in our midst and amongst us, oh Lord, because of your love for us. We thank you that you have forgiven us of our sins. We thank you that you have filled us with your Spirit. We thank you that you have given us your Word to know you by. I pray that you would help us to focus upon you during these next few minutes as we look in your word. I pray that we would be able to take to heart some of the truths that you have revealed for us, and I pray that we would apply them to our lives, that you might be glorified in everything. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. We're in Luke chapter 8 to begin with. 8.26 will be where we're starting. Our title this morning is Go Forth in Jesus' Name. And as you can see, we'll go into Luke chapter 9, which is... uh, an interesting event where Jesus sends forth his disciples. Now, we're looking at the Gospel of Luke, and if uh, there are several themes in the Gospel. And if you were to look at it, you would see, first of all, a concern for salvation. It's interesting how the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are so similar to one another. And yet, even though they are as similar as they are, there is different emphases that we find in each one. And in the Gospel of Luke, which is where we have been focusing for some time now, we find that there is an emphasis in Luke for salvation. But we see some other things. We see the the example of true love and devotion, as we heard last week from Ben when he brought his message. And we also see the ministry of Jesus. There's something that Jesus is doing In the Gospel of Luke, that is really amazing. So we find at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, let me bring up this verse, Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. And this is Jesus' own description of his ministry. And as we read this, maybe we can kind of join in some of the things that Jesus has come to do. Because after all, Jesus is the Savior, not only of the people back then, but he is our Savior as well. And so these truths are true for us. We find in Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 18, it says this, Jesus talking about his ministry. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So over and over again throughout the Gospel of Luke, this declaration of Jesus about his ministry just keeps coming through. And so we see three things over and over again in this Gospel. First of all, Jesus heals the sick. Second, he delivers from demon possession. And third, he proclaims the truths of the kingdom of God. So those three things come through over and over in, gospel, in the Gospel of Luke. And it's pretty fascinating to see this. And so there are two main things that I want to consider this morning. First of all, what Jesus has done for us, because it's going to follow in line with this verse that, these verses that we just read. And then what I want us to do is switch to what we do for Jesus. So what he has done for us And then, what are we going to do for Jesus? So these are the two overarching things that we're going to see this morning. So what has Jesus done for us? In the passage beginning in Luke chapter 8, verse 26, and going all the way to the end of chapter 8, we see three examples where Jesus demonstrates his power and authority. So the first one is the example of the demon-possessed man. And I want to read Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. So please follow along in your Bibles with me as I read. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Then they, Jesus and the disciples, sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he, Jesus, had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. And he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go into the the abyss. Now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain. So they begged him that that he would permit them to enter them. And he permitted them. Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. When those who fed them saw what had happened they fled and told it in the city and in the country then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man whom the demons had departed from whom the man from whom the demons had departed sitting at the feet of Jesus clothed in his right mind and they were afraid they also who had seen it told them by what means he who had been demon possessed was healed then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the gatherings asking him, asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear, and he got into the boat and returned. Notice, notice how the people, when they see what happens to the man, they are afraid and they tell Jesus to leave. They don't want Jesus to remain with them. Just kind of keep that in mind. Verse 38, Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. So this is the account of the demon possessed man, and we see Jesus doing a great deliverance in his life. The man is so transformed that the people are afraid. They want Jesus to leave because of their fear. The man wants to go with Jesus, but Jesus says, no, don't come with me. I want you to stay here and tell everybody what great things I have done for you. So that's the first example. The second one comes in the next passage, and it begins in Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 41. There's really two path, there's, there are two things that take place in these verses. I'm just going to read through it all. The first one is... A woman who is uh, sick from a disease for a long time is healed. And the second one is that Jesus raises the girl from the dead. So let's read this passage, beginning in verse 41. I'll start in verse 40. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now a woman, having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And Jesus said to her, daughter, be of good cheer, your faith has made you well, go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, your daughter is dead, do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in, except Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her. But he said, do not weep, she is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, little girl, arise. Then her spear returned, and she arose immediately, and he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what happened. So these are three extreme examples where Jesus does something amazing, something miraculous in the lives of these people. And what I would like us to do is we consider what Jesus has done for us. I want us, first of all, to realize that Jesus has delivered us. Jesus has delivered us. After all, that's why he came. He came to set the captive free and to preach the kingdom of of God. He came to do these things for us, and in doing that, he has delivered us. And so we are encouraged by Jesus to take our needs to him, even as he has delivered us from our greatest need. What I'm going to do is go through a series of verses that describe the work of the Lord in our lives, and what I want us to do is to... uh, Focus in on the ones that speak to us. So I'm going to go through these verses, a number of verses, and I want you to take note of the ones that the Lord just really impresses upon your heart. And when you find one of these verses, I want you to maybe make a mark or make a note of it and use it in your own life as Christ moves and works in you. So here's the first one, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. I like that last part there. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. The next verse, Psalm 27, 14, says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Psalm fifty-five, twenty-two: Cast your burden on the Lord and He shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Isn't that a great verse? Psalm fifty-six, three: Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in You. Matthew chapter six, verse twenty-five. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. These verses are of particular, a particular favorite of mine, and I come to this often when I'm praying. says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, and this is the last one in my list this morning. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So some some great verses that we find in Scripture. And these are just a, just a touch of all of the wonderful verses that share the same thing about Jesus' care for us and Jesus touching our lives and Jesus delivering us from the situations that we are in. And when you read your Bible, when you do your devotions, or maybe you're doing the five by five by five and you're going through the New Testament, make a note of the verses that speak to you in in these ways, the ones that minister to you for your situation that you are in. Make a note of them and highlight them and write them on, on a card or a paper or something so that you are reminded of them day by day. Use the word of God in this way to bring the encouragement of Christ to your heart. And so we consider what Jesus has done for us, and we realize that he has uh, given us a great uh, deliverance and work, and and, uh, he is on our side. He cares about what happens to us. He has delivered us. Now, we may not have an extreme testimony like these three examples that we have found. We might not have an extreme testimony like the man who is possessed with all of those demons. We might not have a testimony like that. Or we may not have a testimony like the woman who is healed of an incurable disease. We might not have a testimony of that extreme of a case. We might not have an extreme example like the girl who died and is risen again from the dead. We might not have experienced that ourselves. But even though we have not experienced these extreme things in our lives, maybe, we still have a testimony, each one of us, as a believer in Jesus. And the testimony is this, that we have been delivered from our worst plague, and that is the plague of sin. He has delivered us from that. Praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross, who shed his blood, that we might be forgiven. Amen? And because we are forgiven, we have the hope of eternal life before us. So praise the Lord for what he has done for us. He has delivered us. The second thing he has done for us is this. He has given us peace. He has given us peace instead of fear. He has given us peace instead of fear. Now, I don't know what's going on in the life of this woman. She has this incurable disease. She has been dealing with it for a long period of time, and she sees that Jesus is... um, going nearby and so she goes to him hearing of the miracles that, she, that he has done and she wants Jesus of course to do a miracle in her life but she doesn't approach Jesus like Jairus does Jairus approaches him and says my daughter is dying and come and heal her the woman doesn't do that instead the woman just kind of blends in with the crowd and she reasons within her mind <clears throat> she reasons within her mind that if she can just kind of sneak up to him and touch him That that's all it'll take. And that's what she does. She sneaks up to Jesus. She is timid. She is hiding. She's kind of blending in with the crowd. She doesn't want to make herself, you know, come out in the forefront. She sneaks up to Jesus and she touches him with faith for her healing because she has no other hope. And Jesus immediately determines that someone has touched him and been healed. Power has gone out from me. Now that's a puzzling statement, right there. But she, but he has felt it as in response to her faith. And so, of course, he confronts the crowd. Uh, he confronts the crowd, trying to bring her out. I, I believe he really knew who did it, but he wanted her, rather than hiding in fear and in her insecurities or whatever, to express that she has had faith and she has done that. So it doesn't say that, but uh, I, I just think that that's what's going on here. And then when we consider Jairus, he is afraid. In verse 50, it says, When Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, This is Jesus to Jairus after they find out the daughter is dead. He says to him, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Only believe and she will be made well. Now, who can blame him for being afraid and anxious and and full of worry and anxiety because of the situation that, that he is in? So, in these two accounts, in particular, in Luke chapter 8, verse 48, he says, Daughter, to the woman, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And this is Jesus bringing peace to us instead of fear. And to the man, he says, Do not be afraid only believe. And so, therefore, there is this peace that Jesus brings. There is this comfort that Jesus brings. Even as he brings deliverance, he brings something else that is important to us, and that is the peace of God, or even more importantly than that, peace with God. And this is what Jesus has done for us. He has delivered us from our sins. When we're talking about us as believers today, he has delivered us from our sins, and he has brought us into peace with God. And this is what it says in Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is of no little significance when we consider peace. Well, you know, okay, well peace, that's a, that's a good thing, but it's, a, it's not just a good thing. It is a great thing, especially when we're talking about our relationship to God. Because Sin separates us from our relationship to God. There is no peace there. There is no friendship. There is no closeness. There is no relationship at all. There is just animosity and division because that's what sin does. And this is why we proclaim what Jesus has done on the cross because he reconciles us to God. He takes away that sin that has divided us and he brings us together. He reconciles us with the Father and we now have peace with him. We are no longer enemies of God. We are no longer separated from God. We have peace with God. It's like if you have uh, some animosity or trouble going on, between a couple of people or members of the family, and they're separated, and uh, whatever one or the other has done and has caused this division in the relationship, you have somebody else who comes along and tries to bring them together. And when there is this division, there is no rest, and there's no peace, and there's no joy you want to avoid, and you try to attack, and you know, just trouble and turmoil. But when there is a reconciliation there and you ask for forgiveness and the, the relationship is restored and peace comes in, well, then you can go forward and there's joy and there's peace and comfort. And this is what God gives us. Our sin had separated us from him, but Jesus Christ's blood on the cross has reconciled us to the Father and now we have peace with God. And this is what we talk about when we talk about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. A relationship with God or being right with God is not about who your parents are. It is not about what church you go to. It is not about how often you go to church or how many good works you do in the name of God. A personal relationship with Jesus involves asking for the forgiveness of sins and having your relationship reconciled with him. That is the first and foremost thing that needs to be taken care of. And so that is what Jesus has done for us. He has made peace with God. He has taken away the fear and the guilt and the insecurities that sin bring to our heart. That is what he has done for us. He has delivered us and he has given us peace. And now we turn to what we are going to do for Jesus. And this takes us to chapter 9 in Luke. And it says this, I'm going to read the first six verses. It says this Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them Take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now this is really fascinating. So Jesus has brought his disciples, he has called them, and he sends them out in order to do certain things. And so this is applicable to us. As a matter of fact, each of the the points that I'm going to bring up here are found uh, more than once throughout the New Testament and reflect the believer's relationship to Christ within the life of the church. And so we're going to see each one of this these things. So what is the first thing that we see here? First of all, he calls his disciples together. He called his disciples together. Now, the word calling here is not the word calling as to come to a certain position. So he's not calling these men to be his disciples or to be the future apostles or whatever. He is calling them in the sense of coming together alongside of him for the work. He is calling them to join him in service. It is the idea of working together. This is seen in the New Testament, especially in Paul. Paul in in his epistles, he mentions a lot of names, especially towards the end. And uh, he will name the person, and then he will express something about his relationship to them. So one example is Colossians chapter 1, verse 7. And he's writing to the Colossians, and he says this, As you also learned from Epaphras. So he names this guy Epaphras. And we don't know much about him except that Paul mentioned him, mentions him. And then he says this, our dear fellow servant. And, and that's the idea. That's the point that we want to zero in on. Epaphras is a fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. This is the way that Jesus is calling his disciples. He's about to send them out. So he calls them together to do the work that he has been doing. The exact same thing. You'll notice he says, well, I'll come back to that in a moment, but here is the call. And so, uh, and by the way, this is not just for these 12 disciples. In chapter 10, in the next chapter, he's going to send out 70 of his disciples. Seventy. And we don't even know who those 70 were, but he does it again, and he gives them the same charge to preach and to heal and to cast out demons. The same thing, 70 of them. And I think that that is just again, a pointer to the ministry of the church because here we are, the called of Jesus Christ, believers in him, come together in the community of faith, worshiping and serving him. Amen? And so he calls us to do the work of the ministry. He sends us out to do the same things that he did. We are the voice of Christ in this world. So that is our purpose. That is why we are here. And so he calls us alongside of him. So I just want you to take this to heart. I want all of us to take it to heart. We are Christians, and because we are Christians, he calls us to share in his work. So it falls upon us as believers to discern what that work is that Jesus wants me to do. And that's true for every one of us who believe in Jesus here this morning. Find it and do it. And it doesn't have to be some grandiose kind of thing. It could just be a simple, humble kind of service to him, a kind word to other people, a note that you send in the mail, a hug or smile or whatever. Things like that are parts of sharing in the ministry of Jesus Christ. So find that. He is calling you to serve with him. The second thing that we are called to do here or the second thing we do for Jesus, and this is a result of what he's doing for us, is this. He empowers us. So we know that whatever God wants us to do, he doesn't leave us to our own power, to our own devices. He is calling us. When he calls us, he empowers us. He gives us what we need to do his work. So if we might feel insecure about who we are and about what we're supposed to do, we need to kind of put that aside because with the call and the encouragement to do something, he also gives us what we need. Like extreme patience in the midst of a crying baby. You know, it's like we're here in church and, you know, we're together and and this is all part of it, right? Being patient with other people, and rejoicing, and supporting, and helping, and all of those things. He empowers us to do what we are called to do. Now, in this passage, he says, he gave them power and authority over all demons. And that is that one part of the ministry of casting out demons, which Jesus does regularly. And then he says, with respect to diseases, he says it two times. Not just once, but twice. He says to cure diseases and in verse verse 1. And then in verse 2, he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So two times he says that. And maybe that's in relation or connection to the two healings that he has just done. Healing the woman who has the incurable disease and raising the, the child that was dead. Two examples of healing. So maybe he says that twice there. So he empowers us. Uh, We find this is nothing new, and this is something that comes up in the New Testament a number of times, especially with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We all know, right, that when we believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Amen? And when he comes upon us, he empowers us or gifts us, right? Right? Yes, that's right. He gifts us. He gifts us. And so all the things that we do in his name, we do with his help, but by the Spirit, whom he has given us. So we see in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, um, this is Paul's exhortation to the Ephesians, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. And so the word might there is the same word for power that we saw in the other passage. It is the, the power, the ability, the strength be strengthened with the power and the ability that comes through the Spirit. He has given us His Spirit, and He has given us power to do what we are supposed to do. And so, He calls us, He empowers us, and He sends us to preach. And that's the third thing, right? Uh, third part of the ministry of Jesus, to heal and to cast out the demon and to preach the kingdom, these three things we see over and over again, and these are the three charges that he gives to his disciples. So it says, he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God. Now the word for send here is the word apostello, which is the word we get apostle from. And it's kind of unusual, or we might think it's unusual, that the word apostle would be related to well, it's not unusual for the disciples, but that he would use that in order to describe their going to preach. And we find that this is an important idea in the New Testament. So we think of the apostles, and we think they had a special place, and you know they were the twelve, and there's none other like them. But I think that that is a little bit off of the mark, because the word to send is something that comes up repeatedly, and it comes up in uh, with respect to the church as well. And so when we consider the apostle or the one who is sent as an apostle, apostello, we're talking about a messenger or a servant or a ranking official or someone of someone important, like an ambassador. So an apostle then, or one who is sent out like an apostle, has a, a higher authority by which he goes out. Or, An apostle might be someone who bears an important message. Now, both of these truths are true of us in the church. We have a higher authority who calls us to go. And who is that authority? Jesus. Jesus. He is our Lord. He is the head of the church. He is the one who calls us and sends us forth. We also have an important message to bear, right? It is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the message of forgiveness of sins that is found in him. It is a message of deliverance. For he wants everyone in this world to be saved and not to perish. And so we go forth in his name, proclaiming his message of deliverance for the salvation of the world. Colin read an important passage here. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 and 14. Let me read it again. It says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Verse 15. And how shall they preach unless they are, and here's our word, sent? How will they preach Unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, "Lord, who has believed our report." So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we are talking about calling on the name of the Lord and being saved, and being saved as a result of hearing the word preached, hearing the gospel preached. And those who preach have beautiful feet. Uh, You all know Frank Parkinson, right? He's a part of our church. And he's not, where is he? I was just hoping he was going to be here today. But uh, he always says to me recently, he keeps on saying to me, he says, Pastor, you have beautiful feet. (laughs) So, you know, part of me, I know what he's saying on the one hand, so I rejoice. But on the other hand, you know, the feet, uh, okay, I have beautiful feet. Well, you know, you don't want to see my feet. We'll just take Frank's word for it. But uh, really, the idea is about how beautiful are the feet of those. The feet are the ones who go. We go with the word, the gospel. We go, we take it out, and we proclaim it so that people can be saved. We are sent, apostello. We are sent to preach the word. We are apostles of Christ because of Jesus, our authority, and the message that we bear is of import. So he sends us to preach. He sent his disciples to preach. The next thing is he, gave, he instructs us. And uh, we saw earlier that he empowers us. If he calls us to do something, he empowers us to do it. It is by the gifts of the Spirit and the presence of the Spirit of God that we are strengthened and given the ability to do what we're called to do. But along with that, there is instruction too. And here, there's some particular instruction that Jesus gives to the disciples. He says, go and do this and do that, and and this is what I want you to do this time. And you know, it's the same instructions, well, I I mean, the same in that we have instructions as well. In other words, we take this Word of God, which has all kinds of instructions, and we are to read it and, and take it in, and we are to apply its instructions, its truths to our lives. So, for example, if you're reading along and it says, pray without ceasing, hey, well, there you go, some really important instructions, right? About our prayer life, and so we are to make sure that we apply those instructions to our life. Pray, just pray. Some of this, I mean, most of it is not anything. If you've been in the church for any length of time, it's not that it's a surprise or that we are unaware of it. What uh, and you hear me say this over and over again? It's it's actually applying what we already know to do. And so a lot of times we know the stuff up here, but having it like come out here, that's a whole different story. Um, The Bible says, don't worry, don't be anxious. Pray instead. If you're being tempted, well, pray. Well, prayer is like a big thing for us as believers. The point is this. We have all kinds of instructions given to us on how we are to serve him as we go forth. We are not to make up our own rules. That doesn't mean that we're not to think about it, but we have to make sure that what we think and what we apply lines up with what the word of God teaches us. And so we, we kind of rein in where we're going and what we're saying from the word of God. We just kind of bring it in. He has given us instructions. And then the last part, and this is pretty obvious, we obey him. We go forth and we obey him. Now, this is really interesting because remember the demon-possessed man, after he was healed, he wanted to become one of Jesus' disciples. He wanted to follow Jesus. And what did Jesus tell him? Can you believe it? What did Jesus tell him? You remember? He says, no, go home. Right? You remember that? It's like Jesus here is turning away a disciple willing to follow him. And Jesus says, no. But that doesn't mean that the man was not going to be a disciple of Jesus. You remember, the people, when they saw this man healed by Jesus, they were afraid and they told Jesus to what? Go away. Jesus tells this man to go home. Verse 8, let's go back to chapter 8, verse 39. I always love this. I mean, this is just a great passage here. Verse 39, Jesus says, return to your house, 839, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. So he wants this man to go forward and to proclaim the truth, and he does. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Now, when Jesus returns a little bit later in verse 40, it says, when says, So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. So we see that, uh, I, I'm not sure if that's the exact verse, but there is a verse where, that talks about the, the next time he returns back to this place where he delivered the demon-possessed man. Instead of sending Jesus away this time, They welcome Jesus. They have heard the testimony of the demon-possessed man. They have heard and seen what Jesus has done for him. He has proclaimed it to all the people where he lives. And the next time Jesus comes to their land, he is received and he does great miracles among them. And that is the ministry that we take up. We are to take what Jesus has done for us. He has delivered us and he has given us peace. And he sends us out into the world to proclaim that deliverance and that peace to those that are around us. And you know, at first, they might reject us too. Just, they might be afraid of what it means to become a Christian. They might be afraid of becoming a fanatic. They might be afraid of uh, what they might have to give up in their lives. They might not receive your message at first, but if you are faithful and you continue to show the love of Christ... There will be those that God moves in their hearts in their hearts and he will change them and he will transform them and they will receive you down the road possibly. After all, there's not a person who is not broken hearted out there. There's not a person who does not know Jesus who is not broken hearted and struggling and feeling the guilt of sin. There is not a person out there who does not believe in Jesus There is not a person who does not need Jesus and the peace that Jesus gives. Not a single one. And he has called you and me. He hasn't called the angels. He hasn't called other things or beings or creatures or anything. He has called you and me, just regular people. He calls us to go forward with that message and to preach it and to turn people to Jesus. And so let us go forth. Let us... uh, Let us determine or purpose within our hearts that we are going to go forth and take the message of the kingdom and preach it to the world.